welcome to the ministries of the Bohomi Baptist Church, where we worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness, fair before Him in all the earth. And the pastor is Reverend Nelson. Be blessed by the sermon that you're about to hear. into God's favor and uh, the scripture that I would like us to focus on today is Matthew chapter 5. Mm. Matthew chapter 5. I was uh, thinking of this uh, scripture and the thought, when a person reads the, this particular text, you can tell whether or not they are church people or they are, you know, non-church people because of this word, blessed. <laughs> church people say blessed. Non-church people say blessed. Matthew chapter 5. And seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I think we want to pause there at that verse. Amen. The entrance into his faith. Seldom in, in history have so few words been spoken with such meaning, such great meaning. The beatitude of our Lord, they are powerful. They hold before the world a descriptive picture of the true disciple of God. 
the beatitude cover the glorious hope and reward the believer can expect now as well as in eternity. The first 17 verses of this chapter describe the true Christian and deal with character. The rest of the Sermon on the Mount deal with the conduct that grows out of that character. You see, character comes before conduct because what we are determines what we do. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, Jesus shows us that true righteousness is something that is inward. Yes, he points out also that sin is inward. He was countering the false teachings of the scribes and the Pharisees who were so sanctimonious <laughs> in, in, their, uh, in their daily walk, but inwardly they didn't have peace. Inwardly, there was trouble. There were ravening wolves. There was a lot going on on the inside that was not really manifesting on the outside. So it was really a show that they were putting on. But Jesus is here teaching that true righteousness is something that is inward. Man looked at the outward appearance, the Bible says, but God looks at the heart, for the heart is where life's destiny is decided. Proverbs 4.23 says, We should guard our hearts with all diligence, because from out of it flows the issue of life. The scripture is implying here that whatsoever we allow to enter our hearts, if not examined and evaluated properly will undoubtedly be expressed in our lives and in our action whether it is in a positive way or in a negative. The word beatitude does not appear in the Bible and this particular or these two chapters are known as the well yeah the text that we have just read let me go back known as the beatitude. The attitude is simply the translation of a Latin word that really means blessed. And if you go and you talk to some people about the beatitude, they say, well, that's not in the Bible. Certainly you can't find beatitude in the Bible. But this portion here is known as the beatitude. And people are very clever with the beatitude. They said that it's the attitude that ought to be in our lives. <laughs> as Christian because attitude brothers and sisters is important very important there is an old saying and a well known one that it is not your aptitude that determines your altitude it is your attitude it is one's attitude toward life that determines where they go in life. 
And it is interesting as we look at life, sometimes we see people who are overqualified for where they are. But it is the attitude that determines how far we go. Oh Lord, you're still with me. The Bible said that Jesus was teaching, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And great multitude was following him. There, there was a throng of people following Jesus as he preached. And the Bible said that he healed sicknesses and diseases. And he cast out demons. And many of those sicknesses and diseases were associated with demonic activities. And Jesus cast them out. Yes, and there was a whole lot of people. And when people realized what was going on, that people were being set free, people were being delivered, people were being healed, they started to crowd Jesus, a whole throng. And the Bible said when Jesus saw this great multitude, that he went up into a mountain. He had ministered to, had reached his human capacity. Yes. And he could not have handled the whole throng that were coming. Am I talking to us? Because Jesus was in his human form. And those of us who minister know that when it comes to ministering to people, it takes a lot. Oh yes, you, you finish preaching and then after you're preaching then people start coming for prayer. This one need to be delivered. This one need to be healed. This one need this, this one need that. And you have to be there ministering to them. Am I talking to us? It's hard. It's overwhelming. And so when Jesus was through, he was just exhausted. And then in the midst of it, he saw a multitude coming. And he said, oh no. Uh -uh. Can't handle anything more now. And so the Bible says, seeing the multitude, he went up into a mountain. And the Bible goes on to say, when he was set. That is, after he got a little time to get himself together. My talking to us. His disciples came Unto him. Hmm. This beatitude was given to the disciples, not really the multitude, because Jesus had already escaped the multitude. His disciples came to him and he opened his mouth and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor. In spirit. Mm. The world today does not have any regard for the poor in spirit. It does not make any provision for such person. The world prides itself in self-sufficiency. As a matter of fact, that's what we have been taught over and over again. We need to be self-sufficient. 
We need to take care of our responsibility, and rightly so. Can somebody say amen? Amen. But this uh, idea of self-sufficiency is something that is engraved in us. Yes. To the point where I need to say that it's even messing up families, messing up marriages. Oh, Lord. Because of this idea of self-sufficiency, help me, Lord. Males are not fulfilling the role of the male, neither the female being satisfied with the role of the female. Uh, the men have been emasculated and the women now taking on that masculine role. That is what society promotes. Oh Lord. But there is room for that feminine quality in the marriage relationship. I need to say that again. There is room for that feminine quality in the marriage relationship. Yes. Uh, I'm going off track here. It's not, not, not the message. But I, I, just, I just need to make that observation. Amen. That the world, this idea of self-sufficiency is causing a whole lot of problem in relationships. I'm going to leave it right there. So the world promotes self-sufficiency. And everybody strives to be sufficient. Everybody strives to be independent. And should I say rightly so. Yet at the same time, God dwells with the person whose heart is broken. Isaiah 57 and verse 15. Thus said the high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the midst, I dwell in the high and holy place. With him also that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. We have to first of all empty ourselves before we can be full. To be poor in spirit is the opposite of self-sufficiency. And as believers we acknowledge and we confess that we are not sufficient in ourselves but our sufficiency is in God as 2nd Corinthians 3 and verse 5 tells us not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves but our sufficiency is in God can somebody say amen that all of us are sufficient in God not in ourselves. We need one another. 
sufficiency is in God. Glory, hallelujah. We should have the proper attitude towards self, realizing how weak and sinful we are apart from Christ. And we are told in Luke's Gospel, the 18th chapter, of two men who went to the temple to pray to the house of God. The Bible says one was a Pharisee and this man was self-sufficient. And he was relying on his own righteousness. And he prayed and he said, God, I thank you that I'm not like others. I'm not like other people. I'm not like other men. I'm not an adulterer. I'm, I'm not an extortioner. I'm not, I'm not this. I'm not that. You know, often I fast and, you know, often I pray and I pay my tithe. And so he's saying then that he's self-sufficient. But there was another man who acknowledged his inadequacy in the presence of God. And the Bible said he would not even lift up his eyes. But he simply smote his breast and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Bible said that this man left the presence of God more justified than the righteous man who went in. Oh, Lord. Our sufficiency is in God, not in ourselves. Stay with me. Poor in spirit is to acknowledge spiritual poverty. Abject spiritual poverty. Being poor in spirit, I must establish, does not mean that a man has to be poverty stricken physically or financially poor. Because it's important that we understand as Christians that hunger and nakedness and want, those are things that are not pleasing to God. Especially in a world of plenty. God is not pleased with people suffering lack in a world of plenty because he has provided enough for everybody. Am I talking to us? But because of man's greed, because of man's selfishness, he does not think of his brother. He does not think of his sister. He thinks only of himself. And it is interesting when we think about the way of the world to see those who have so much, what length they will go to, to take away your little. You think that would be pleasing to God? When they rob the poor, the Bible says, do not rob the poor because he's poor. When those who are wealthy take away the little that the poor has. Hmm. You think that's something that God is pleased with and you say, well, oh, he's poor and that's all right. Oh, no. God is not pleased with that. Because for far too long we have been taught and we have believed that to be a Christian you have to be poor. But that's not according to Scripture. 
that you have to be lackened, you know, and all of these things. No, no. That's not what the word teaches us. There is a difference between being poor in spirit and being poor materially. It's not the same thing. Are you with me, somebody? Mm. The Bible is talking about here, or Jesus is talking about being poor in spirit. And being poor in spirit here means several things. It means to acknowledge our utter helplessness before God. Our spiritual poverty, our spiritual need. That we are solely and completely dependent on God and God alone to take care of our spiritual need. It is to acknowledge our utter lack in facing life and eternity apart from God. That we are not sufficient, we cannot handle it, we need God's help. It is to acknowledge our utter lack of superiority before God that indeed we are spiritually dead to acknowledge that we are no better no richer no superior to the next person no matter what we have achieved in life no matter how far we have gone that we are no more better than the other individual. We are not superior to them because of what we attain in life. We are not. For Jesus makes it clear that a man's life does not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. You might be better off, but at the same time, you're not a better person. You might be better off, but you are worse than you were before. Oh Lord. It is to acknowledge that every human being is a person and that every human being has value in the presence of the living God. The opposite to being poor in spirit is having a spirit that is full of self. And there is a world of difference between these two spirits. There is the difference of thinking we are righteous versus acknowledging that we need the righteousness of Christ. There is the difference of being self-righteous. Yes, there is that difference where we acknowledge that None of us by ourselves can ever work our way in to be pleasing to God. For the Bible says that all of our righteousnesses, they're as filthy rags. They mean nothing before God. And you are presumptuous to believe that your righteousness is going to take you in the presence of God. You are presumptuous. That's a spirit of presumption. Yes. That you need to rebuke over your life as an individual. Because the only 
righteousness that God acknowledged is the righteousness of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only righteousness that can meet God's standard is the righteousness of Christ. And that's the reason why we are to be clothed in Christ's righteousness and not our own. Because our own means absolutely nothing to God. Our own might cause us to compare ourselves with another. And they say, well, I'm more than this person because I'm doing more than they're doing. And I'm so, and I'm so, and I'm so. But when you put everything before God, it means nothing. Absolutely nothing. All of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. We have to be clothed in the righteousness of Christ. It is Christ's righteousness that God the Father acknowledges. Oh, my friend, God is holy. And we are sinful creatures. God is separate from us. And separated from us. Because of our sinfulness. And because of his holiness. But thank God. There is a mediator. Can somebody say that? And he is the man. Christ Jesus. And he has redeemed us. Hallelujah. He has brought us back to God. He has shed his precious blood and his blood has cleansed us from sin and as a result of our faith in him God our heavenly father has now clothed us in the righteousness of Christ his beloved son keep that garment on that's the only one that really matters in the presence of God it was Paul the great apostle as we read this morning in the text, the scripture that we read, we all read, Paul mentioned some of his qualification, that he was the cream of the crop when it comes to self-righteousness. Oh mm -hmm. uh, yes, he said, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrew. First he said, I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin, the stock of, and he lists go on, he said, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrew. I am the cream of the crop. But he said, I realized that all of that was not good enough. And so he testified and he said, I want to be found in him. Not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through faith or through the faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Hallelujah. And what we are talking about, brothers and sisters, is how we enter into that righteousness. And the Bible is saying that we have to first be poor in spirit. Because it's when we acknowledge our spiritual poverty, then we are at the place where we can experience God's spiritual wealth. And there are two, two critical thoughts here as it relates to be, being poor in spirit. 
the person who is poor in spirit. If these steps are taken, first of all, the acknowledgement of that individual's spiritual poverty. And then if that person turns his primary attention away from the things of this world, acknowledging that these things can never make him rich in the spirit, no matter what amount he has, it can never turn his attention to God and away from those things. Acknowledging that these things, friends, they are empty. They are needed for life. Can somebody say amen? We all need them. They are needed. And when we have these things, they give us a certain degree of uh, peace of mind. Oh, Lord. But when we crave for them and we give ourselves over to them and we realize that they are empty, what they promise is not what they deliver. And there are people who put their whole life on hold to attain these things and they don't live. Am I talking to us? They don't live. They just exist. And when they achieve these things and they realize how empty they really are, that they don't really bring peace, they don't really bring comfort. It's a lie that the devil tells humans that if you have these things, they're going to make you happy. If you have these things, they're going to make you whatever you're desiring to be. But the reality is upon having them, then one realizes it is not so at all. It's not so. It's an empty promise that the devil makes. The next step is that he turns his primary attention to God and to his kingdom. He acknowledges that it is God and God alone who can make him rich. So the poor in spirit are those who feel a deep sense of spiritual destitution and understand their nothingness before God. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Yes, that when, when a person comes to this place in his or her life, then they're going to realize that there is nothing that I can do. And as a result, that person is going to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Because they understood that all that they strive to attain are only empty promises. And they really don't satisfy. The satisfaction that they promise, they don't deliver. When one comes to that realization, Jesus says, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So when they come to realize that these things are empty, they're going to turn from them and turn to God and seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You're still there with me. 
Then Jesus said, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And I think we'll only deal with these two this morning. Poor in spirit, and they that mourn. To mourn is to have a broken heart. It is like the deep mourning and wailing that occurs over the death of a loved one. And this, of course, is a passage that we use to bring comfort to those who are mourning. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. But what we are looking at this morning is its usage in its primary sense. Uh, that's an application. How we use it at funeral, that's an application what it means there in the primary sense is what we are looking at mm. so to mourn is to have a broken heart it is sorrow a desperate sorrow helpless sorrow it is a sorrow for sin oh yes this mourning that the bible is talking about here is a sorrow for sin, a broken heart over the evil and the suffering, a brokenness of self that comes from seeing Christ on the cross and realizing that it was our sins that put him there. This is what James talked about when he says, be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to heaviness. There are three people, types of people who we can see mourn in this manner. The person, first of all, who is desperately sorry for his sin and his unworthiness before God. He has such a sense of sin that his heart is just broken. Uh, he is mourning. This person acknowledges his or her own sin before God and their own guilt in the presence of God. And as a result of this acknowledgement, their heart is broken. Their heart is broken over their sin. They realize how much their sin offended God and so their hearts are broken and as a result they are mourning and this is somewhat what we saw referenced earlier with the publican in the house of God when he went in to pray and he simply smote his breast and said God be merciful to me a sinner that's a sign of a broken heart that's a sign of mourning in the second place the person who mourns really feels the desperate plight and terrible suffering of others and they go before God in mourning as they see the 
the tragedies and sometimes the sinful behavior of others would cause them to mourn. Uh, the condition of uh, lostness that is in the world caused them to mourn before God. They see so many, so many dying without hope caused them to mourn. Isaiah said in chapter 63 verse 9, In all their affliction he was afflicted, and the angel of his presence saved them. In his love and in his pity he redeemed them, and he bare them and carried them all the days of old. God have mercy on the afflicted soul. The mourning soul, the soul that acknowledges its wrong, its misdeeds, and go before God and ask God for forgiveness. And in the third place, it's the person who experiences personal tragedy and intense trauma. And they mourn. The Bible said, blessed are they that mourn for they shall be comforted. So this morning we are saying, brothers and sisters, is sincere sorrow for sin, for our sins, and also for the sins of others. Uh, we not only mourn over our own sins, but we mourn over the sins of others as well. When we see how others have messed up their lives, sometimes it, it, it grieves, grieves my heart, passing on the street and seeing all of these young men. And it's just shell, just pure shell that's there. They are there, but they are not there. They don't even know what they're doing. It's, it's a life that's wasted. It's a life that's ruined. It's a life that's destroyed. Things like these, brother, sister, should cause us as Christians to mourn. Oh yes, to mourn. Mourn over the plight of others. So when we mourn, we not only mourn for our own sins, but we mourn also for the sins of others. We, we, we are not careless and try to excuse ourselves for we know that God hates sin and sin breaks God's heart and so we are sorrow we are sorrowful and as such we mourn Paul the apostle writing to the Corinthian brethren in 2nd Corinthians 7 and verse 8 is, if I, though I made you sorry with a letter, I do not repent, though I did repent. For I perceive that the same epistle had made you sorry, though it were but for a season. He said, now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that you sorrow to repentance. For you were made sorry after a godly manner that you might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow 
worketh repentance to salvation. Not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. The two apostles, two disciples, demonstrate this. Peter mourned with godly sorrow and he was forgiven. When he saw Jesus, his friend, his master, his teacher whom he loved and who loved him dearly, when Peter saw that he denied him, and Jesus had already foretold that you would deny me. And Peter confessed that, no, I will never deny you. But when the cock crew, and he realized that he had, in fact, did what he said he would not do, the Bible said Peter went out and he wept bitterly. He mourned before God. And he was forgiven. When Jesus rose from the dead, he said, Go and tell my disciples, I'm going before them to Galilee. And, and Peter, too, just in case any of you guys have any issue with him that he denied me, bring Peter, too. And in the end, it's Peter who said to you, Peter, do you love me more than these? And he said, Yes, Lord, you know I love you. He said, Be my sheep. Then he said, Peter, do you love me more than these? Peter said, yes, Lord, I love you. He said, feed my sheep. And the third time, Peter was grieved, the Bible says. Jesus said, do you love me more than these? He said, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And he said, feed my lambs. So Peter, he sorrowed. But his sorrow led him to repent. And he found mercy. Judas also sorrowed. Am I talking to us? Judas had remorse. But his remorse was not like Peter's remorse. And as a result he went out and he took his own life. Yes. Godly sorrow leads to repentance but the sorrow of this world leads to death blessed are they that mourn Jesus said for they shall be comforted and so we are to mourn over sin and this leads to confession and humility before God resulting in us being lifted up. James chapter 4. Reading from verse 8. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands you sinner. And purify your hearts you double minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning. And your joy to heaviness. Humble yourself. In the sight of the Lord. And he. He. Shall lift you up. Am I talking to us today? 
The person who mourns over his or her sin is comforted by Christ himself. For Christ was called the man of sorrow. And the Bible said that he was acquainted with grief. Yes. And so he's able to succor, to draw a person ever so close to his comfort and to strengthen that individual beyond any imagination. Blessed are they that mourn. Hebrews chapter 4, rewinding down, verses 15, 16. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all point tempted like as we are, and yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. There is a godly sorrow but there is also a worldly sorrow. And Jesus said to us that those who mourn, they shall be comforted. So let's consider that last clause there as we wind down. There is a present comfort. And this comfort comprises of a settled peace a relief, solace, consolation. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. John 16, 33, these things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Cheer up! I have overcome the world. And whatever it is that you are going through will not last always. Amen. You're going to rise above it someday. Because I have overcome the world. God is going to deliver you from it. Because Jesus overcame the world. Don't tell yourself that it's not going to be over. One day it's going to be over. God is going to bring deliverance. God is going to bring that breakthrough to you. God is able to do it. Because he's God. So don't give up hope. It may be long, but don't give up hope. God is going to come through for you. Am I talking to us? So there is the comfort of peace and relief and consolation and solace. But then there is also the comfort of assurance and forgiveness. Oh, Ephesians 1, 3. Blessed be the Father, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessing 
in heavenly places in Christ. 1 John 1 and verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. John said, my little children, these things write I unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation, he is the sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but for also for the sin of the whole world. Can somebody say amen? There is a fullness of joy, a sense of God's presence, of God's care and of God's guidance, a sense of his sovereignty, a sense of his working out all things for our good and according to his glory. As the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to them who love God them who are the called according to his purpose. Hallelujah. So there is the present comfort, but there is also the eternal comfort. The present comfort comprises of peace, forgiveness, and joy. There is the eternal comfort, the wiping away of all tears. Hallelujah. Isaiah 25 and verse 8 says, He will swallow up death in victory, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the rebuke of his people shall he take away from off the earth, for the Lord has spoken it. John tells us in the Revelation, for the Lamb which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and shall lead them into living fountains of water and God shall wipe all tears from their eyes. In 21 verse 4 as we wind down and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death neither sorrow nor crying neither shall there be any more pain for the former things are passed away those that mourn they shall be comforted those who grieve over the sins that they have committed god is going to grant comfort he's going to grant forgiveness he's going to grant healing in him, the Bible says, the weary and heavy laden shall find rest. Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And he said, blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is the way, this is how we enter into his favor in poor in spirit and mourning over 
our sin. Not only ours, but for the sin of others. For the plight of the lost and those who are outside of the covenant. Those who need to come in. Bible says we are to mourn. Mourn over their situation. And pray for them that God would bring them in. That God would deliver them from their distress. God would deliver them from their burden. God would deliver them from their sin. May God help us today. Thank you, our Heavenly Father, for the truth of your word. Thank you for speaking to our hearts today. I pray, O oh God, that somebody, somebody would receive from you today. Lord, you know the need of every heart. Pray that you would move in your own way and do for your people as only you can. We give you thanks, Lord. We give you praise for all the blessings, all the favors, all the benefits that you've bestowed upon us. Help us to walk in humility before you and to serve you in spirit and in truth. We give you thanks. We give you praise. In the mighty name of Jesus the Christ we pray. And everybody say, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand looking at the time and see time well, we just want to thank you for listening to today's sermon here at the Bavoni Baptist Church, where sharing Christ is every Christian's business. So as we depart, go and serve the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords.